we can overcome some of these behavioral patterns somatically. We can let go of anxiety or people pleasing or learn to self-regulate and make healthy choices in the moment, in a triggering moment, in a relationship. Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Bethany Dotson. Bethany is a trauma-informed yoga therapist and relationship coach with over a decade of experience helping professional high-achieving women heal anxiety, complex PTSD, find their power, and skyrocket their confidence after divorce or toxic relationships, communicate better, navigate conflict, and most importantly, co-create healthy relationships. She's a domestic violence and childhood trauma survivor who helps women triumph over trauma, break their cycle of emotionally unavailable men, and attract the love they deeply desire. So why do so many people find themselves repeating a painful pattern in their intimate relationships? And if this is you, and once you realize this, what can you do to stop, heal, and attract those who are worthy and deserving of your kind and wonderful self. We're talking all about it with my next guest, Bethany Dotson. She's going to be talking about trauma-informed therapy practices, rebuilding self-trust, and so much more. Here we go. Okay, everybody. You are in for a treat because I have Bethany Dotson with us, and she's going to be talking about somatic work and trauma-informed therapy practices when we heal, heal from complex uh, relational trauma and rebuilding self-trust. Because you know, when trust is shattered, everything kind of gets shattered. It all has to be rebuilt. The issues are in the tissues. How do we release all this stuff? I brought in an expert to teach us. So welcome, Bethany. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, to have this conversation with you. So of course, my listeners, viewers want to know, do you understand? Do you get it? Have you been there? Um, do you have any a story you can share with us? Yeah, I will give you the Cliff Notes version. So I, I personally grew up uh, witnessing domestic violence. So my dad was bipolar. I've, I spent the first 10 years of my life um, watching my parents you know, have increasingly violent um, fights in and out of domestic violence shelters until they finally divorced when I was 10. And then I worked really, really hard um, in school. I made the decision, I never want to be like that. I never want to end up in that kind of a scenario. And so I uh, double majored in college. I made the dean's list. I worked full time. I and then I started having panic attacks, and I was spreading myself too thin. And um, I was also um, having friendships that seemed to be really draining, and dating a lot of emotionally unavailable men. And even though I worked hard in my career. Um, I, I tended to get with employers or bosses who were um, really demanding. I had a hard time setting boundaries and um, I increasingly dated more emotionally abusive men. And I'd done 12 years of talk therapy, didn't change anything. <laughs> I still went out and, you know, I would be in a room of or, or maybe online dating uh, more specifically, 
you know, and the one, the one guy that I had the hots for that I had insane chemistry for was, um, was an abuser. And so it wasn't until I started doing trauma informed work, um, specifically starting with EMDR. And then I was training as a yoga therapist myself, um, that I started learning that we can overcome some of these behavioral patterns. Um, somatically, we can let go of anxiety or people pleasing or learn to self-regulate and make healthy choices in the moment, in a triggering moment, in a relationship um, by learning to have really solid emotional balancing, emotional regulation practices in place so that we're not unconsciously repeating behavior. Yeah. So, and, and before we even move forward, what now, when here you were, you were a little kid and it's, it's so easy to make something mean something, something else. When you saw that with your parents, what did you make it mean? Did you, did you take it personally? Did you think it was you? I don't know that I ever consciously made it mean anything. I mean, I'm sure subconsciously I did, but consciously I didn't make it mean anything about me. If anything, uh, the only thing that I remember thinking was, why don't they hurry up and get a divorce? <laughs> I, was like, really? I was like, when is this going to stop? Um, but, you know, kind of looking back, I think that's an interesting question. I think I did. Uh, I, I learned that I had to be really quiet. Um, in order to avoid, you know, potentially triggering my dad, my dad had really bad anger issues or to avoid triggering my mom. My mom was always walking on eggshells. She had a short fuse as well. Don't bother me, go outside and play. So yeah, I learned uh, to adapt uh, in order to survive. And that behavior didn't serve me well, Um, not just in intimate relationships, but really all relationships. Right. So then, you know, it's so natural. You move into relationships, not because they're good, because they feel so familiar. Right. You know, it's, it's like, wait, it's what, you know, it's like, okay, I get this. I know how to move through this. So you did that. You said 10, 12 years of therapy. Yeah. And, and then did you notice any change with the therapy? I noticed, um, I noticed that I could have a, uh, I had one therapist I saw for, uh, a good five or six years. That relationship was probably one of the safest relationships I'd ever had. Um, and I noticed, you know, I had, I seemed to have healthier friendships. Um, I still struggled to set boundaries at work and to set boundaries with friends. And then I still struggled to attract an emotionally healthy partner. Um, So I I consciously knew, I knew like consciously, okay, I have this pattern. Um, Numerous therapists had told me over the years, look, you've got the makeup of attracting an abuser. All of the women in your family have done this. You're going to have to be really careful. And so I knew that consciously, um, but it wasn't. I, I still wasn't making, I still wasn't connecting the dots in relationship. It was like something came over me and uh, yeah, I still, I still ignored red flags. I still people pleased. I still, you know, questioned, am I the crazy one? I still got into all of that dynamic. So what led you to EMDR? 
Um, I had, uh, so during my yoga therapy training, I had to get a certain amount of receives from trauma informed therapists or other yoga therapists that were in like a trauma informed uh, field. And I had one, uh, therapist tell me, I think you really need to do EMDR. And this was back in 2015 and I'd heard of it. Um, yeah. And so after I, I also did a, a training, like a continuing education training with Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the body keeps the score. And he talked about that being a method. So I did do so that, that those two things led me, sorry, I have a plane going overhead. I don't know if you can hear. <laughs> okay. So that was, yes. Yeah, so that that's where, uh, did you notice a change with EMDR? Or did it lead to something else that you wanted to, to try? I noticed um, an immediate change in the memory, but I did not notice lasting change in the choices that I was making okay. in, in relationship. Yeah, I noticed an immediate change, like going in, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is this bothering you? It's an eight. By the end of a 10 or 15 minute session, it was like a two. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but carrying that with me um it, I didn't it wasn't I did it's not like I had you know 10 sessions and then all of a sudden I was making healthy choices okay. I still struggled right in the moment in in the scenario in the environment okay so then did you did that lead to something else so you said you did some work with yeah so it led me to um doing a bit more somatic work, noticing where I felt things in my body in the moment, being more aware of uh, what my body was telling me in you know, uh, an interpersonal relationship um, with friends and learning to speak up in the moment uh, and express my feelings and kind of put myself in the, the realm of rejection or upsetting somebody. Um, so using, adhering to a more somatic work, kind of going back to the, the training that I uh, practiced and learned as a yoga therapist and kind of getting back to that and doing that every single day. Um, meditation, movement. I've been a yoga teacher. I've been a yogi for 22 years. The yoga that I, I started with was, you know, vinyasa flow, power flow yoga, push, 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 get a workout in. But the yoga therapy that I've trained in is more uh, trauma sensitive. So it's not even really about doing a pose. It's more about noticing what you feel in your body in that moment. So it's, it's, very, it's very subtle. Um, so I started practicing, doing practices like that every single day. And I also invested in coaching, which I, I'm a big fan of coaching over personally over therapy. I think therapy is great. Um, and that's when I started seeing the biggest movements. And you know, there, it, it makes so much sense because I feel like we become so disconnected from our bodies. So we don't use the wisdom that it's there to teach us. Can you give us an example of, let's say, you know, you mentioned with a, with a friend or even a coworker or something, where now that you were tuning in to your body, give me an example of like, what would be something that someone would say or do, or even just their mannerisms or whatever. And then your body was telling you, oh, wait a second, something just is clearly off right here. 
Yeah. So uh, for me personally, if I feel some kind of contraction and, and it doesn't have to be this major feeling, but if it's like a kind of a sinking feeling or just a little bit of a tightness or, um, and again, it, it can be subtle. And I would say, you know, I certainly had red flags with exes in the past or with friendships in the past, but it was always like, I had no reason, logical reasoning yet. I didn't have any evidence yet, but I would say my body was still like, Hey, I, this probably isn't a good idea, but now it is so much more pronounced for me because I've practiced and built, rebuilt that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a, a dating scenario might be, you know, somebody says something and in the past, I would have overlooked it, but now I'm, you know, if it's in my body, I'm like, Oh, this is not for me. And then communicating that right away directly. Right. Right. You know, in the in, within the PBTs, do we call that sharpening our BS meter? <laughs> yes. Right. It's like the body is so wise, and when we use it to our advantage, it can. It's like these invisible bodyguards that we're getting this additional support from. So, tell us what. Why is it? And I see this so often with brilliant, successful women. I mean, I see it with men too. But why is it that brilliant, successful women, smart, savvy? find themselves in these really challenging, narcissistic, gaslighting relationships. What's going on there? Because I know these yeah. are like, come on, tell me. Yeah. So I think it's, I think there's two, two, two answers to that, in my opinion. So I think that, um, I think women who are really, really strong and successful and work hard on themselves tend to have some kind of subconscious belief system that I'm not enough unless, unless I'm doing X, Y, or Z, or I have to be achieving some kind of outward success, or I have to have some kind of external validation or some kind of reward system so that I know that I feel good enough. I have to be doing, doing, doing in order to feel like I'm worthy or to feel like I'm good enough. So in this, nobody gets up in the morning and brushes their teeth and like tells themselves that in the mirror, it's like a subconscious thing that drives her to do that. So that's the first biggest reason. That's one of the patterns that I see in my clients. And I have Um, to stop you right there because I was, that was me. Here I was four kids, six dogs, thriving practice. And I, I didn't realize it, but that fed me. Those compliments I would get all the time, like, how are you doing it all? Oh my gosh, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? And, and I didn't realize that was the validation. And it's a yeah. dangerous trap. It's a dangerous trap. And then leading into attracting someone who is an abuser or who's narcissistic, those relationships, um, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's research and studies like abusers and emotionally unavailable people, they come on so strong. They tell you everything that you want to hear. It's a whirlwind. Um, and that feeds into that pattern of, oh, I'm getting all of this external validation. Now I feel enough. Now I feel enough. Now I feel enough. And then the moment that relationship starts to crumble or the moment they start to show their true colors it triggers that fear of rejection or that fear of abandonment. And again, this is a subconscious thing, 
she might be calling him or wondering why he's not, you know, or, or chasing or, or, you know, feeling clingy or whatever. Um, but it feeds into that not enoughness. And because she is subconsciously believing that's a core belief, I'm not enough unless she attracts somebody who on the surface is like amazing, but then ultimately proves that she's not enough. So that's, that's my opinion on why that happens because I feel ultimately it's a subconscious uh, belief system and that, that belief system can get installed in there from childhood conditioning, developmental trauma, um, you know, circumstances in her life. And, you know, emotionally unavailable, even narcissistic partners tend to target people like that because on some level they know a really strong woman who does a lot for everybody is going to do a lot for them. Who's going to, that, that, that woman's going to give him a long runway to play out the dynamic, right. And give him a lot of grace. So, yeah. And so that leads me into the idea of, you know, it's so easy to see the gaslighter narcissist and the empath as being like the perfect storm. It, tell me the connection there. So I see, you know, I see a lot of people and I, I bought into this when I was learning that my ex was a narcissist and I did my whole, you know, binge researching and oh my gosh this is what he is oh my gosh this is what I am like self-diagnosing but what I later learned through my own trauma recovery work is that empaths by nature are not I think only one percent of the population is truly wired to be an empath like have the brain wiring to be empathic they're born that way with that conditioning the other 99% of people who claim that they're an empath aren't really, they're just traumatized. They have relational trauma and relational trauma. A lot of times people like label trauma as bad, but especially if you have developmental trauma in childhood or even just in a really long 20 year narcissistic marriage, it changes the way your brain works. It changes the wiring in your brain and you're going to be more perceptive, maybe even more intuitive. You're going to have a bigger battery. Um, you know, your battery is charged a little bit stronger than, you know, non-traumatized people. You're going to sense people's tonalities, their facial expressions a little bit more easy. You're just going to be just a more sensory acute and people will confuse that with being, I feel things so deeply. I'm an empath. No, probably not. Or <laughs> probably what's really happening is you've been traumatized. And because of that, you just have this beautiful sensitivity about you now. And so, yeah, that's an interesting distinction that, you know, where it's okay. So just to, to kind of sum that up, you're saying that, and I heard it was 15%, but uh, 1%, whatever it is, either way, it's a very small percentage yeah. of people are actually empaths. But what you're saying is it's the, the experience of sort of like being in that slow boiling pot, right? The frog in the, in the boiling water over time, you know, on that slow boil, uh, they're experiencing this trauma and they become so sensitive 
to the experience. And that's what that's what's happening. Is that what you're saying? Yes, more or less. And, and, and it might not be, you know, in the experience, they're becoming sensitive, but it changes the amygdala, the fight or flight center in the brain. I think their, their research says that, or research shows people with brain scans who have relational trauma, their fight or flight area is bigger. Um, and the area of their brain that's responsible for tuning inward and being more self-aware is less active and the area in their brain responsible for speech, speaking up, mm. like setting boundaries is, is less active as well. Um, and so when, when we have a more active fight or flight sensor, we're just gonna be, and it's not even something that we're consciously aware of, we're just like scanning, right? Making meaning out of people's facial expressions and gestures and tones and all that kind of, all of that stuff. Yeah. So then when it comes to healing complex trauma, relational trauma, what do you do? Where's a good place to start? I am a huge fan of working with your body, having a mind body or somatic protocol to retrain, um, to retrain your brain and your body to develop when, when people have relational or complex trauma, they're more externally focused. They have a more of an extra, like extraception, I think is the word. Um, they're more externally focused on things outside of themselves. Let me see if I can fix, manage, control the circumstance and abandon myself in the process. Mm-hmm. And And that self-abandonment, unfortunately, attracts people who are ultimately going to abandon you. Um, and so when you start to work with your body and it can be so tedious and frustrating and slow, um, and sometimes painful at first, um, you start to turn on and develop interoceptive awareness. So the part of your brain that's responsible for like tuning into your intuition and going inward starts to turn on a little bit more, um, and your fight or flight center starts to, because you're now bringing on um, practices that directly impact those areas in your brain, like breath work, like hmm, tuning in, where do I notice this in my body? What feeling is here? Asking and you know, asking um, powerful questions. Meditation, right? Tuning out from your environment, giving your brain a break. Um, all of these things create that interoceptive awareness. And then we can start to bring that into relationship. Okay, I'm sitting across the table from this second date. He's really attractive, but I'm not really sure. Let me let me have a little bit of, um, let me tune in for, to myself for a moment. What's really going on here? And then we can make healthier choices in the moment. And is there a way you like, let's say someone's uh, they're listening and they're like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. I'm going to start implementing that. What would be a, like a subtle sign letting them know, oh, wow, this is working. You are able to pick up, you are able to pick up sensations and notice things in relationships. So maybe, so I'll give you an example. I have a client who, 
um, is, is in the work right now. And she had her family over visiting. And after doing the work, she had a lot of ahas about how her family of origin was a big influence in how she attracted men. And she had never been aware of that. She always thought, oh, I have a great healthy childhood. That wasn't part of the problem. But after doing the work, she was like, oh, I need to set better boundaries. I need to communicate better. So being aware, I think one of the first signs that you know that you're making progress is you're aware of what your body is telling you and you're able to express how you're feeling truthfully. I think a lot of people hide the truth and hide sharing themselves and, you know, or ignore red flags or sweep things under the rug because they're afraid of what might happen if they do that. But I think once you start honoring what you're feeling and you're okay with the temporary discomfort that might happen if you share how you're truly feeling with someone, those are two big signs of growth, okay. huge signs of growth. So now I'm, I'm imagining I have so many listeners, they've been burned so many times. They just, they're like, that's it. I'm giving up on love. It's just not worth it. Talk to that person. Can they love I again? Was, is it possible? Yes, it is so possible. And, and if I, if, if I, if I could say something to someone who is in that place and they're like, and they, they, they're like, I will never get, and I talk to so many women like this. I will never get into another relationship. Love isn't for me. In so many ways, you're, you're, you're allowing your past to win. You're letting your past win. And your past is your past, but you can make the conscious choice to, to decide and decide the root, the root meaning of decide means to cut off from other possibilities, from other answers, right? From other, other outlets, you can decide that you're not going to allow that to happen. We need human connection. That's a biological given. We cannot go through life without it. People who um, are lonely have a, a greater risk of heart disease. Literally having a broken heart um, are at greater risk of other diseases as they age in life. Um, mental health uh, disease becomes greater the lonelier and the more isolated you are. And trauma, is not healed by being alone and keeping people at arm's length. In fact, it exacerbates your trauma because you never get to build the muscle of allowing yourself, and the key word here is allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to be seen and to be received by somebody else. And the only way that you do that <laughs> is really through relationship. Um, and there's a really great quote that I love by, I think it's Harville Hendricks, and he says that we're born in relationship which is true. We are wounded in relationship, definitely true. And we can be healed in relationship. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. And so whether that relationship is with a coach or a therapist, whether that relationship is with a coworker, whether that relationship is with, you know, a friend that you meet in a meetup group or the new guy that you start dating, the, the, the biggest thing that's going to take you from, I'm still traumatized. I have major trust issues to now. I feel like I'm a whole or you know, a more complete person is through that safe relationship. 
I love that. And, and I love, don't let your past win. And it's so true, right? It's like, think about it. And I always talk about this. That person may not know, care, or even remember what they did. And here you are, you know, sick and sad and stuck. And that's just not fair. So Bethany, as we, as we wind down here, what do you want to make sure everyone knows? I want to make sure that everybody knows that you are, you, you were love. You, you were born into this world as a loving being. You were born into this world as pure potential, as loving energy. And for whatever reason, you experienced circumstances in your life that caused you to turn the, to shut the blinds, close the door, <laughs> draw the curtains, and, and to really keep the light out and to turn down your own light in order to you know, make certain relationships work. And if you were born like that, there is a way to get back to that. And that's what I would like to share. And, and, and if you are wanting to have healthy relationships after betrayal, it is more, it, it is more than possible to do so. You do have to be willing to get uncomfortable in that process. You do have to be willing to do the deep inner work of looking at yourself. What is it within me that is a match for this? What is it, what is it within me that is drawing this? A lot of people will go, it's the narcissist, online dating sucks, it's, all, it's everybody else. But if you can take compassionate, um, a compassionate look at yourself and be curious and not judge yourself or beat yourself up for the choices that you made, or for staying so long or whatever, but just look with curiosity and compassion at yourself and decide and do the work, do the healing work, work on your trauma, get out of your comfort zone and relationship. Little by little by little by little, you can have the love that you want. You can have the emotional freedom that you want every day. You can have a life that you're madly in love with. I love that. And what I love about it is you need to do the work. There is no escaping it. You have to do no it, it. You do yeah. it. You cannot get there until you are willing to get messy, uncomfortable. There's just no way around it. And I also want to make sure everyone knows it's not that the betrayal was your fault. It's your opportunity. It is your opportunity to take a look and say, what was I allowing? What was I tolerating? What did I put up with that this new version of me that I'm about to create no longer is willing to do? So I, I, I absolutely love that. Bethany, where do we go to learn more about you and the great work you do? Yeah, so you can go, um, you can find me at my website. I am at bethany.dotson.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, um, Bethany Dotson. I am on Instagram, but I'm not super active there. I have social media. <laughs> overload. Um, but my website, I do have a free masterclass that you can, um, opt in or choose to watch if you'd like. It's the five shifts that I teach my clients on how to stop attracting emotionally unavailable men, reclaim their identity, reclaim their confidence and learn to attract a healthy partner. Beautiful. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. Bethany, I want to thank you for your time, for your, for your wisdom and sharing your gifts with, uh, with our audience. I know they're going to get so much out of what you shared. Thank you so much.
lots of great information. It's all about tapping into the wisdom of the body because it's always talking to us. But are we listening? Stay in touch with Bethany by going to bethanydotson.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at thepptinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Don't let your past win. That's so important to keep in mind. Just because something happened once or many times doesn't mean it has to continue and doesn't mean it has to be your life story. You can heal, you can trust again, and you can love again. And we're here to help. So much support and accountability within the PBT Institute where every day we're helping our members move through the five stages from betrayal to breakthrough so they can regain their health, their confidence, happiness, and so much more. There really is no place like it. See for yourself by going to thepptinstitute.com forward slash join to learn more. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.